Good to have Chris and Linda back with us. Praise God for that. Yeah. And I didn't, I, last week I saw him, but I didn't say anything. Good to have Romy back with us. He's doing well also, so keep him. Thanks a lot, God, for that. We're going to start this morning. I got a little bit too much echo for me, Lon, please. Um, we're going to start this morning looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at it for the next several weeks together. Uh, there was a time in many of our churches, uh, not only Baptist churches, but pretty much any, any evangelical church, where if you started on this chapter, you were about to start a fight. Uh, particularly if you look at the 70s and the 80s period of time, uh, when there was it seemed to be this big struggle over the uh, well charismatic movement and how, what would that look like and where would that go? And certainly we find ourselves again today uh, with all kinds of uh, different uh, what do I want to say flavors of, of groups of, of Christians and, and different views when it comes to the different doctrines of our faith. And but I think we must always be careful. That the practice of our faith is not based upon some tradition or some way that the world has taken, or even the church has taken, uh, their understanding of, uh, of, of biblical teaching and have sort of, if we're not careful, we, we sort of like to mold it into something that we're comfortable with. And if we're not careful, we actually neglect, maybe not intentionally, but we, by practice, we actually neglect what the Bible has to say about certain things. And we begin to practice things that are not, not so much biblically based as much as they are either traditionally based or maybe uh, based upon the ideas of a movement. So I think it's good for us to, to look at this chapter again. We just finished up Romans chapter 8. Now we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to talk about the church uh, during this time. And I want to talk about how God intended the church to be and how God intended to work through the church. So we begin in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. It will be on the screen behind me, but if you have your Bible, you are more than welcome to look, look at that also. Here's what is written for us by the Apostle Paul as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about this morning. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I want to begin this teaching by looking at what Paul is trying to speak to at the church at Corinth. It has been said, and I think it's true, that the letter to the church at Corinth, or the letters to the church at Corinth, rather than being mostly a um, manual of how-to, they are letters of correction to a church that had got carried away in a wrong direction. Now, we're not talking about a church that has dropped the essential doctrines of the faith. We're not talking about a church that's gone off into apostasy and those who have, who have rejected Jesus Christ or who has rejected the Holy Spirit. But what we are talking about is a church that, that in many ways is like... Our church today. 
If we're not careful, we allow our churches to become more influenced by the society that we find ourselves in than we become changes for God in the society where he's put us. Does that make sense to you? In other words, if we're not careful, our churches look more like, for us, the Western culture that we find ourselves in. Now, a little bit of that is always going to be there because you can't, you can't help that. That's who we are. We are Americans. We are a Western people. So the, the impact of where we are and, and what we are will always have some sort of influence upon the church. But we must be very careful that the church does not look like, necessarily, the culture that it finds itself in. Now, we have a problem with that as Westerners when we go to third world countries. And we sit in their church and we say, wow, this, this church is not really proper church because it, it actually looks like more of the native culture that I'm in. And I'm not comfortable with this because it looks more like the native culture than it looks like anything that I've ever experienced before. By the way, if they came over here and they said in our church, they'd probably say, wow, that looks a lot like America. It doesn't really look like anything that I've experienced before. A little bit of that will always be because of of where people find themselves geographically. But we must be very careful that we do not turn our faith into a nationalistic uh, 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 expression of who we are as a people. Because in, in reality, our biblical faith is beyond the borders of the country that we live in. And it was intended to be worldwide. It was intended to be used of God to touch the world and not just touch just a specific culture. I always find it interesting that when I am privileged to go to either Mexico or Haiti, how God will use those people of different cultures and and different uh, backgrounds and and maybe different economic settings to touch my heart. And I guess it's it's just the way we are as Americans. We think we're going to go down there and we're going to bless these people. I mean, they're going to be blessed because we Americans, we the American church, the strong church, the rich church, the whatever church, the right church, are going to go down there and show these people how to be the church. And you know what the Holy Spirit always does? He always kind of just slaps us upside the head, in a spiritual way, of course, and, and, and reminds us that His church is not based upon borders or nationalities or ethnic background or, or finances or, or anything. His church is, a, is an extension of His body. And it was intended to be that all over the world. And whatever culture we find ourselves in, the power in the church is not the culture of the church, but it is the Spirit of God who empowers the body of Christ. Amen? We must remember that. Lest we do what happened so often in the 70s and the 80s. The thought of some sort of spiritual superiority or spiritual hierarchy that would be found in the body of Christ. One of the issues that Paul dealt with with the church at Corinth was they're, they're, they're applying their, even their pagan culture and tying it with their newfound Christian faith. Secondly, as in their old culture where they would have different degrees or different levels of spirituality depending on the position the person found themselves in or depending on how hard they practiced and how hard they prepared to, to, to live their, their, their religion in the world, that had found its way in the church also where people said, well, well you, don't, you don't do this and you don't do this and, 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 and we can do it in relation to the gifts of the Oh, you don't speak in tongues, so I'm here, I speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you must be down here somewhere. 
We say, wow, those ancient people. Listen, it was no different than the ancient people in the 1970s and 1980s. I remember one time I was meeting with in, in Tucson pastoring and meeting with a group of, of pastors. I, I always enjoyed going with my charismatic brothers and praying with them. I just did. I just spent time with them and I love to pray with them. I, I pray with them in, in Tucson and after about three or four prayers, prayer times together, one of the guys says, well, Tony, you don't speak in tongues. Well, you know, it depends on who's listened to my messages, whether I speak in tongues or not. But no, I don't speak in tongues. Well, do you deny the gift of tongues? I don't deny any gift because I think the Holy Spirit is alive in the body of Christ and, and He gives us He intends to give. Yes. Okay? Say, so, well, it, it kind of amazes us because we kind of feel like you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you, brother. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. You, you actually have the Spirit and you don't speak in tongues? Isn't that funny how we change things? And we make the Bible say things like that it never even really says. Well, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the translators of our English Bibles did that very thing. Look at verse 1 with me. And this is very important to me because I, I, I think if you read it as the English translators have, have, have written it for us, you would think that the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the emphasis of it was... The gifts of the Spirit. Now, how many of you have been taught that all your life? Oh, come on. How many of you don't pay attention to what you're taught? Okay. Most people, when they look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they assume, because of what is written there, that, that the, the emphasis, because the beginning of the chapter says, now concerning the spiritual, what's it say? Yes. Gifts. And then he goes on, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Which means, which, what you need to understand, means they were ignorant. But in the Greek, there's one word missing in the Greek that's not in our English translation. Now later on, it's, it, in the Greek, you'll find in the same chapter, you'll find that word. But in the first verse, that word is not in the Greek. And not in any of the Greek manuscripts. Matter of fact, if you have a King James or a New King James, that word will be italicized in your translation. You might want to look down and see that word. That word will be italicized. What is the word that's... You have King James and New King James. I don't know if it's any of the other. What is the word that is italicized there? Gifts. Gifts. You know what that means? It means it was not in the original Greek. It means that the translators felt it necessary to put that word in there for clarification purposes. But they were honest enough to, 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 to italicize it so you would know it was not in the Greek. They're not trying to fool you. They're not trying to lead you astray. They italicized it and let you know it was not in the Greek. So, here's what I want you to see. I think the translators made a mistake. Now, don't burn me at a stake and don't call me a heretic and all this kind of stuff. See, here's what I believe. I believe the original word is inspired. I don't necessarily believe that the... The translators were were necessarily inspired. Now again, don't burn me to stake. Don't shoot me or something like that. Do I believe this is the inspired word of God in the English translation? I certainly do. Okay. Do I believe what it teaches is correct without error? I do. But even the translators put this in italic so you can know that it wasn't there. So, when you read this... Without the italicized word, here's what it says. Now concerning spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
I wanted you to know that I believe that the emphasis of this chapter is not the gifts of the Spirit, but that the emphasis of this chapter is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Paul wants to draw our attention to the Holy Spirit because, by the way, I want you to understand this, that the true gift of God is not the manifestation of the Spirit, however he chooses to manifest himself in the body of Christ, but the true gift of God, according to the Word of God, is the Spirit of God himself, which is a gift that is given to every genuinely born-again believer. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, when you are generally born again, you, uh, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into you. He dwells within you. You don't get him piecemeal. You don't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within you. Paul says that the body of the believer is actually the temple of the living God. The dwelling place of the living God. God the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Which means that there is potential in every believer to move and to act with the power of God. And with the power of heaven. And to understand the things that the Holy Spirit teaches and the Holy Spirit does. I love the fact that there is no hierarchy in the New Testament church. There is no hierarchy. There is no spiritual hierarchy in the New Testament church. There are not just those special enlightened ones who have the Holy Spirit. Who, who, who are set above everybody else and who are the, the final word and the final authority. I remind you, church, what is the final authority in the body of Christ, particularly at First Baptist Church of Fountain Hills? What is the final authority? Is it the pastor or is it the word of God? It is the word of God. The word of God is our final authority. Now let me ask you this. Who is the primary teacher at First Baptist Church of Fountain Hills? Is it Tony Pierce or is it the Holy Spirit of God? It better be the Holy Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and teaches the people of God what God has for us. And so when you look at that first verse there, I believe the emphasis that Paul intended as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit was not the gifts, but the emphasis was the Spirit of God himself. The, the, the spiritual things that are found within the body of Christ. How important is this? I think it's crucial. I think it's crucial. Because I think even the Corinthian church had lost focus. And they had begun to look at things differently than what God had intended them to look at them. And by the way, through history, the church has done this very same thing. In many congregations, it has become either one way or another, where the gifts themselves become the prominent thing that people talk about. Therefore, you have people who, are, who emphasize being charismatic. Or, or the gifts themselves become the primary thing we fight against, which, meet, which a group of people call themselves non-charismatic. Okay? In a biblical sense, every Christian, now I'm not talking about in a cultural or a traditional sense, but in a biblical sense, every Christian should be charismatic. Every Christian should be filled and led by the Holy Spirit of God. But we fear that label because it definitely has been misused and it has been abused. Paul, speaking words of correction to the church, wants the church again to be aware of the Spirit of God. Of the presence of the Spirit of God. Of the work of the Spirit of God. Now concerning the spiritual church, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand spiritual things. 
I want you to understand what God has for you as the body of Christ. And to quit looking as indicators of where a brother or sister is spiritually by what kind of gift is manifested in their life. As if, as if they have any say on it anyway. Because the Bible clearly says that the Holy Spirit gives as He chooses. Not as we choose, but as He chooses. The work of the Holy Spirit. What does being spiritual mean biblically? Well, brother, it means I prophesy. It means I speak in tongues. It means I interpret tongues. It means I have the gift of healing. It means I have the gift of knowledge. It means I have the gift of mercy. It means I have the gift of hospitality. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean any of those things. And I'm not condemning any of those things because they are ways that the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in the life of a believer. But the Bible is very clear when He talks about what does it mean to be spiritual or what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in control of your life and how does this work? What does God have for us? In this dispensation which we live in, the New Testament time, God the Holy Spirit not only works around us, and He does work around us at all times, but now the God, the God the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And Jesus came to make everything right between we human beings and our Heavenly Father. But Jesus in the flesh did not stay here. But His intention was that He would leave us stronger, closer to God, and in a continued relationship with God that many of our Old Testament brothers and sisters never, never had experienced. God the Holy Spirit was going to work through His body, the church. God the Holy Spirit was going to transform things for those who had faith in Jesus Christ. And we have this message beginning for us, written for us, in, first of all, in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 11, you will see there's a man by the name of John who is, who is speaking. And John is the cousin of Jesus. We call him also John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. And when John was teaching, he was questioned. Because John was called the Baptizer for a reason. Anybody know why John was called the Baptizer or John called the Baptist? Not because he was a Baptist in the sense that we understand what a Baptist is. But because he was doing what? Baptizing. Okay? His authority to baptize was called into question by the religious authorities of his day. Why do you baptize, John? What's this all about? Why are you, why are you building up followers for yourself? And John's response was this. I am baptizing with the baptism of repentance. In other words, those who have a heart for God, those who have a desire to change their life, who have a desire to turn from their sin and follow God, I am baptizing for that. And they are not ashamed of that decision. And they are following God in that baptismal ritual to, to say to the world that we have repented of our sin. But John goes on to say in this chapter, he says, But I want you to know this. There is one who's coming after me. This one, I want you to know, I'm not worthy to loosen the, 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 the straps on his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. And when he comes, he's going to baptize also. 
But his baptism is going to be different than my baptism. For he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and the fire. And what John was saying that when Jesus came and he brought uh, believers or followers unto himself, that he would change them. The word baptism means, as you and I know it, means to immerse, to be completely covered, to baptize. But the word also is translated to identify with or to make one with. And Jesus promised that, that, or John said that when Jesus baptized, he would baptize people not with just water, but he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. They would be identified with God by the Holy Spirit and with fire, the fire of repentance, the fire of cleansing. They wouldn't be the same as they were before. That was a promise of God through Jesus Christ. We read on in the scripture and we come to John chapter 16. And Jesus has been ministering for some three years now. And John records for us Jesus meeting with his disciples. And as he meets with his disciples, and I want, I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to turn to that passage with me, because I think this is a very important passage for us to, to just spend a moment reading. Because Jesus is going to speak about the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is important. And by the way, you can see how quickly, by the time we get to the book of Corinthians and on into church history, how quickly the emphasis of the work of the Holy Spirit is changed, not to focus on the Holy Spirit, but to focus on the manifestation of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. God, listen church, whether we're talking about God the Father... God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. He has never called His church to focus on the things that He does, but to focus on Him. Now, again, I'm not saying the things He does are bad. Of course they're not bad. But if we're not careful, that's what we begin to seek. We begin to seek the things of God, and in the same moment, we neglect the God who, give us, who, who has given us these things. And the call is for us to, is to seek God. And so Jesus, at the end of his ministry with his disciples, those who were following him, he said to them, let me tell you what's going to happen and how good this is going to be for you. Starting with verse 5 of chapter 15 of John, 16 of John, excuse me, says this. He said, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled their heart, why? Because Jesus has said that he's leaving them. They'd given up everything to follow him, hadn't they? They left their nets, they left their jobs, they left their families, and they followed Jesus. They'd been following him for three years. And now all of a sudden Jesus says, you know what guys, I'm out of here. I'm about to leave. And their hearts, as it says here, were filled with sorrow. What were they going to do? Where were they going to go? Who were they going to follow after Jesus was gone? So he goes on to say, Nevertheless, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I'm convinced that when he said this, they didn't get this. How many times have you and I said as Christians, You know, Jesus, if you just show yourself to me, I'll follow you anywhere. Just prove yourself to me. Do we not understand 
that He has shown Himself to us. If we're born again, He has shown Himself to us. And He has given us His Spirit that we might be the people of God that He's called us to be. And He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, look at what Jesus said, I will send Him to you. I love this. Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to the one who sent me. I'm going to return to my Father. But I'm not going to leave you alone. Matter of fact, I'm actually going to leave you better off. That's the advantage. I'm going to leave you better off than it would be for you if I stayed here in the flesh. Things have got to happen. I have to die. I have to be buried. I have to rise from the dead. I have to ascend to my Father. But when I do that, here's what I promise you I'll do. I will make it better for you. Imagine, better for you than if I were here with you. Because in in every sense of the word, church, he was promising through the Holy Spirit of God that he would always be there with them. See, remember, they were real men living real lives in a real way. So, some of you in this church, I get blessed to see more than once a week. Some of you I have to see almost every day. Well, that didn't come out right. Okay? But, in almost every case, we have to leave each other. We leave each other for a period of time. And it was the same thing for Jesus and his disciples. We have recorded for us in the Bible sometimes when Jesus just had to get away from his disciples, you know. And he would leave them for a period of time. Always coming back to them, of course. But he would leave them for a period of time. You know what he's saying now? I'm about to do something where it will make it possible that I will never, ever leave you again. You will never be without my presence. You'll never be by yourself. What a wonderful promise. Jesus had for his disciples. And what a wonderful promise Jesus has for us. It is to your advantage that I go back to my Father. Because when I go back to my Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. Now look at what he says the Holy Spirit will do. By the way, you're not going to find one gift in here. You're not going to find one manifestation here. You're going to find the reality of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Here's what he said. He said, verse 8, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Whose job is it to convict the world of sin? Yours? Mine? The Holy Spirit. Not only will he do that, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of, right, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, now, before I deal with the however, I want to remind you what Paul said. The things of God, or the things of the Spirit, are spiritually discerned. Everybody got that? You can't understand. Have you ever? You can't understand spiritual things from a carnal position. You can't receive spiritual things with a carnal mind. The world does not understand what you believe. The world does not. They cannot understand what you and I know. And sometimes we become very uh, uh, impatient with the world because they don't understand what we're saying and they don't understand what we mean. It, it blows my mind. Here, I'll tell you what blows. It blows my mind that anybody, anybody would reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
When you think about who he is and what he's done, why would you reject him? And when you think about the promise we have in him, why? Yes, people do. And Jesus says this here. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, look at what he will do. He will guide you into all truth. First thing he does, what will he do? He will guide us into all truth. Secondly, he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, look at the next thing he does. He will glorify me. What's the word glorify mean? Make known. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will make me known. Okay? He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. How do you know God? By the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you even know you need God? By the work of the Holy Spirit. How are you convinced that Jesus Christ is God's answer for your sin and for my sin? By the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, we would say, someone would say, well, Pastor, are you, are you saying that, that, the, that the gifts are not important? I'm not saying that. Any gift from God is good. Any gift from God is perfect. Any gift from God is appropriate. The problem that we have as human beings and in the body of Christ is that we have set the gifts up here, and somehow God the Holy Spirit is a servant to dole out those gifts to us as we want Him to dole out to us so we look better in our Christian faith. There's a word that just keeps coming to my mind. I don't know why the Holy Spirit keeps bringing this to me. Is that many of us in, in, in the body of Christ are more involved in what I would call Christian narcissism than we are in, in, a, in a submitted relationship with God under the control of His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me what I need so I look good. Empower me so I can, so, so, so I can, so I can do what you want me to do. The Holy Spirit is not a dispenser of God's power. He's not up there just saying, you know what, you know, today I'm going to give Doug, I'm going to give you some today. I'm going to zap you with some power. Isn't it incredible what we do with the precious gift of the Holy Spirit so many times? We turn it into some cheap expression of who He is. And, 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 and again, we, we, we want to say, Holy Spirit, I don't really need you. What I need is what you can do for me. When we don't understand what the Bible teaches is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It doesn't say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit zaps you with power. He's not merely the dispenser of the power for our Christian life. He is the power for our Christian life. And if He doesn't indwell us and we don't respond to Him and we're not, we're not open to what He wants to do, we, then we live as powerless Christians. We want to say, well, I wish it was like it used to be. And I say it too. I wish it was like it used to be. I wish we would see the power of God in our lives. But it's time to get real because the only reason we're not, the only reason I'm not seeing the power of God in my life is because I am neglecting who He is. Or I'm changing who He is. Or I'm turning into something that, someone who, who meets what I want. And as long as He meets what I want, then, then, then I, will, I will feign surrender to Him. I prayed, O oh Lord, show Yourself to me. Pour Your power out to me. And when You do, then Lord, I will know. And when You do, then Lord, I will do what You tell me to do. Why do we do that? 
What do we say? And when you do, O Lord. It sounds okay. And some people want to say, well, what's the big deal? Because God is not a God that just exists to do for you. God was not created for you or for me. We flipped this thing all around. He wasn't created for us. We were created for Him. Does it make any difference? Of course it makes a difference. It makes all the difference in the world. And, and, and I don't think the Holy Spirit <laughs> exists just to manifest Himself through us so He can prove that He's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to prove anything. Christ redeemed us to glorify Himself through us and in us. Not so that we can t- turn him in, or him and God, the Father and God, the Holy Spirit, into our spiritual sugar daddy who's doling out whatever we think we need for the, for the moment. He wants to be real in us. Do you get that? That's why Jesus says, I'm going to, the Bible says Jesus will baptize you the Holy Spirit with fire. That's why Jesus said, it is to your advantage that the Holy Spirit come. If all the Holy Spirit was ever going to do was zap people with things, he could have stayed up in heaven and zapped us from there. Right? The issue is not what you're zapped with. The issue is who indwells you. That which makes us distinctly different from any other religious group on the face of the earth is that we have the living God who indwells us. We don't go somewhere to worship God. We exist to worship God. And we are privileged to gather together corporately like this to express that as the body of Christ. But we don't have to come here to meet God. He's in the life of every believer. That was Christ's intention. Not to turn the Holy Spirit into someone who gives me what I want. When I want it. And how I want it. And how much I want of it. We move on to John chapter 20. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the dead. And now Jesus reappears to his disciples. They're gathered together. Remember, they're still afraid. They're still wondering what's going to happen to us. We followed Jesus and we told people that he's the way. Now he's gone. In John chapter 20, Jesus reappears to his disciples. And in John chapter 20, verse 22, you know what he does? It says, he breathes upon them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is fulfilling exactly what John said that he would do initially in the life of his disciples. Jesus is fulfilling his promise where he says, If I go, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And now these disciples, quite literally, and for lack of a better term that that I might have, are being baptized by the Holy Spirit. They're being infilled by the Holy Spirit. They're being empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're being equipped to be the men that God is going to use to to establish His church in this world by the Holy Spirit. 
in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit has become life to these men. We move on. In Acts chapter 19, after these men who are empowered and have the Holy Spirit living inside them are going around and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they come to a group of believers who are, who are followers of the Lord and followers of John, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 19, it says that the, the apostles laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I always find this interesting. Every time this happened in Acts, and I hear some people teach, the first thing he said, and they spoke in tongues, as if speaking in tongues was the emphasis, rather than receiving the Holy Spirit being the emphasis. They received the Holy Spirit. Again, in fulfillment of what John said way back when as to how Jesus Christ would establish his church. Then we move over to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we're told of the believers that the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of our salvation. You'll find that in verses 13 and 14 as you're looking. Why all this that I've been giving you? What am I trying to help you to understand? What do I need to understand as a follower of Jesus Christ? That the emphasis and the intention of God for His church was to be a Holy Spirit-filled people. That the, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not merely for the charismatic group, and we evangelicals run away from it like our hair's on fire. I'm not going to do that Holy Spirit baptism stuff. I might even jump a pew or something like that. But I want you to know that unless you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you are not sealed of God. Unless you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God. Because at the, at the moment that the Holy Spirit brings you to conviction and brings you to realization and brings you to faith where you respond to Jesus Christ, at that moment He indwells you. At that moment He moves to live inside of you. At that moment He becomes life itself for you. But unfortunately for many of us Christians at that moment, that's the first moment we walk away from Him. I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the church. Now I'm going to go try to be the best person I can be from here on. And your first or second, if it's not the first step, on your second step, you fall flat on your face. You fail. Because we neglect to tell people that the one who brought you and the one who saved you and the one who indwells you is the one that you and I need to surrender to and submit to every day because the Christian life is impossible for any human being to live in themselves. Only God the Holy Spirit can empower you and His life in you, the empowerment of God in you, enables you and I to live the Christian life that God has called us to. Paul was concerned that the church at Corinth understood and not be ignorant about the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm concerned that our church understands the work of God, the Holy Spirit. 
That which Jesus taught us about what he would do. That which the apostle taught us what he would do. And that, even more than that, not just what he would do, but who he was to be in the life of the believer. On Wednesday night, we're, we're, we're in the book of Galatians. And what we've discovered is this. He says, you know what? If you are filled with the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he goes on to say that even Christians who are led by their own flesh will manifest the leading of that fleshiness by being able to do every corrupt thing that even lost people can do. See, we look at people when they go into flesh and we say, well, they must not be a Christian at all. Well, that's not what Paul said. Paul says that Christians are capable, if they walk in the flesh, of doing everything that a lost person could do. I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's proper, but Paul said that's possible. Not only possible, it was happening in his day, and it happens in our day. How many of you, let me ask you this, I'm not asking for testimony, just, you know, an acknowledgement here. How many of you, besides me, have done something completely, completely, completely ungodly since you've been born again? How'd you do that? Aren't you a Christian? How did I do that? Am I not a Christian? Have you ever questioned yourself about that? Maybe either in the midst of doing something or after you've done something, say, Lord, am I really your child? How could I have done something like that? How could I have said something like that? How could I treat someone like that? How do Christians do that? And there are some groups that say because we as Christians do that, at that moment we lose our salvation, we must be saved again. But then you really need to read what Paul or or, or what the writer of Hebrews said. I almost said Paul, I almost got in trouble. Okay? What the writer of Hebrews said was you can't crucify Jesus again. If it were possible to lose salvation, you could not ever be renewed under that salvation again. So we're not talking about loss of salvation. We're not talking about being kicked out of the family of God. We're talking about the children of God who rather than walk in in their birthright, being filled and being led by the Holy Spirit, have chosen to walk in their own flesh. And because we've chosen to walk in our own flesh, we are capable of doing every ungodly thing under the sun. Which is the reason why God has called us never ever to walk in the flesh, but to always walk in the Spirit of God. For far too many of we Christians, the Holy Spirit just exists in this temple. He doesn't rule this temple. For far too many of we Christians, the Holy Spirit is just there for our convenience. To give us what we want, when we want, how we want it. He's not there as the God of our lives. To be honored, to be glorified, to be worshipped, to, be, to, to, to respond to. It is why our churches have no power. It's not because we haven't asked enough endue us with power, endue us with power. It's because we haven't recognized that it's not power that He endues us with. It is He who is the power in the life of the believer. Paul does not want the church to be ignorant. He wants us to understand the spiritual things. Because ignorance leads us back, according to verse 2 here, to the place we were before. Back in, we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what he said. He says, you know that you were Gentiles. Now, that word Gentiles there basically is not so much an ethnic term, but more of a spiritual description 
You were Gentiles. In other words, you were estranged from God. And then he goes on to say, carried away by those dumb idols, however you were led. Now the word dumb there is probably not the most common way that we would use the word dumb today. When I first read it, I think, dumb? I know a lot of dumb people. I've done dumb things. But actually, he's not talking about dumb in the intellectual sense. What he's saying is, you have... You have been you 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 were following God who had no ability to answer you. You were following God who had no ability to respond to you. You know, man, we we are kind of fickle creatures. We're kind of crazy. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about how far the people of God had gotten away from him. And I think this is just an interesting picture that he draws here. He says, you have some guy go out into the woods. And this guy, you have him cut a tree down. It's a tree sitting out there in the woods. And you have him cut a tree down. Okay, so you take the tree and you divide that tree up after you get it home and stuff. And with the first portion of the tree, you cook your meal. And with the second portion of the tree, you warm your home. You keep yourself warm by the fire. But with the third portion of a tree, you have someone engrave an image on it and you bow down and worship it. A dumb idol. An idol without the ability to respond. And yet, he says, the people of God worship this thing. Later on, Paul talks about, about the idols that the people were worshiping. And he says, he says they're not gods at all. They, they, they are one or two things. They are just gods that you've created with your own vain imaginations that don't exist at all. They're meaningless. Or actually, he says in another passage that some of them are demons. You say, is that true? Well, we do believe in the spiritual realm. And we do believe, you know, when you look at the world today, I believe there are, there are two factions there. There are those who make up everything spiritual. Nothing real spiritual about it. They're just charlatans. They're just trying to convince people to follow them. But folks, there really is an occult. There really is a paranormal world out there. And it is beyond our natural world. And, and it is the, is the realm that Paul talks about, the heavenlies, where the principalities and the powers, they, do, they dwell. And they're there to deceive men. So when Paul talked about these, these, these idols that are unable to answer, he's not only talking about the, the ones made out of wood and, and gold and, 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 and stone that, that people have followed and bowed down to, which is kind of ridiculous because they're nothing more than the creation itself, but they also at times can be the demonic, the enemy leading people astray. Either way, either way, they have no power to lead men. They have no power to change men's heart. They have no power to change men's lives. Only God can do that. So in verse 2, Paul tells them to to step away from those dumb idols. Those idols that are not gods at all. That have no ability to answer their prayers. No ability to respond. No ability to change their lives. And then, before he gets into the part where he's going to talk about the diversity of gifts, he's got to share one more thing that's true about the Holy Spirit. One more thing that's true. 
And I want you to look at verse 3 and you'll see the one more thing that he, that he says is true. He says this, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This verse is one of the key verses that lets me know that in verse 1 that I shared with you a little bit earlier, he's not talking about the gifts, but he's talking about the the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the spiritual things. And notice what he says here, something that's very important. He says, no one can call Jesus, Jesus a curse if they're led by the Holy Spirit of God. No one can say that if they're led by the Holy Spirit of God. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying that a person that's led by the Holy Spirit will always do what? When you're led by the Holy Spirit, what will you do? You will bless God. You will glorify Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, He will glorify me. He will make me known. When you hear preachers, ministers, religious leaders say something like this, Jesus was never really God in the flesh. Here's what you can know. They're not led by the Holy Spirit. When you hear preachers or or, or spiritual leaders say, Jesus never rose from the dead, you can know that they're not led by the Holy Spirit. Say, well, everything else they say is good. How can everything else be good if the root is, is rotten? If someone tells you that Jesus is not God in the flesh, the Bible says, John tells us, that that's Antichrist. If someone tells you that Jesus is not deity, then they're denying what the clear teaching of the Scripture and the Holy Spirit is, and they are not speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. If they tell you that Jesus is, is not sinless, the sinless Son of God, they're not speaking the words of the Holy Spirit. If they tell you, as incredible as it may seem, that Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sin, and his death on the cross has no real impact upon your sin, they're not speaking of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking by the Holy Spirit. I'm amazed at supposed Christian people, how complicated we make this. Paul makes it very simple. You deny Jesus, you say things that, 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 that curse Jesus and who he is and deny who he is, then you're not led by the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. Because, as he goes on in verse 3, he says this, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except how? By the Holy Spirit. Now he, again, is not merely saying the words. Because I know apostates, I know heretics who will say Jesus is Lord. So they say, see, I said it. But then when you start saying, what do you mean by that? That's a whole other issue. It's not merely words that come out of your mouth. When he says, those who say that Jesus is Lord, it means those whose hearts and souls have been changed where they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that can only happen by the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual. How many of you here believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you know that you didn't come up with that because you're smart? Do you know that you didn't come up with that because you're better than other people? Did you know you didn't even come up with that because you're more special to God than other people? Did you know you didn't come up with that because you're a super spiritual person? 
And by the way, did you know that you didn't come up with that because God thought you would be the best thing he could ever add to his kingdom and his church? By the grace and the mercy of God, the Holy Spirit moved in your life and in my life. And he dealt with our spirit. That's what he does. He deals with our spirit. He deals with us where we are. And he reveals, as Jesus said, he reveals our sin. And he reveals the judgment of God. And he reveals the reality of who Jesus Christ is as he takes the person of Christ and he glorifies Christ in our life. And he deals with our spirit in this way as he calls our spirit to himself. As he calls our spirit to surrender. As he calls our spirit to respond. And he draws us to the truth. And he brings us to salvation. Because no one can say, no one can confess, no one can genuinely and eternally believe that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he does. And that's what he does good, or does well, or does perfectly. He brings us to that place. Paul begins this chapter by saying, Church, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand spiritual things. The New Testament is written for us as the body of Christ that we, we, would, we may know what, what the Bible means by spiritual things and what, that we may know who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works and what he, what he intends to do in the life of his believers. He does this to take us out of the, the place where we would trust in anything less than the one true God. And when he does this, He brings in our lives the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And he brings into our heart the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ for who he is. To put our faith and our trust in him. And he reveals in us only as only he can that we have the opportunity to respond. To submit. To surrender. To put our faith and trust in him. And because of his great work in us, we are able to not only say with our mouth, but actually believe with our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the Savior who died for our sins. That literally Jesus Christ died for my sin. And even today, he knows what I'm like. Even today, he knows all my shortcomings. And yet he still loves me. He's not going to cast me aside, but he promises that he will always remain with me. I'm going to ask you this. Has there been a time in your life where you have responded to the Holy Spirit's message of truth concerning Jesus, concerning yourself? Has there been a time in your life when the Holy Spirit has touched your heart and you realize that you were a sinner and you realize that you needed Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you responded to the work of the Holy Spirit and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus if you earnestly and genuinely did that that's a one time thing it's an eternal promise of God that your sins are forgiven and that you belong to him but if you haven't done that if you can't, you don't know the time I'm not talking about joining the church being baptized or uh, you know, whatever other religious rituals churches offer 
you would know if there's been a time in your life that you have responded personally to, to the call of the Holy Spirit and put your faith and trust in you. If you haven't, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, and if you'd like to respond to Him, we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. You're not responding to us. You're not responding to the church. But as a church, we want to stand beside you as you respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Maybe you're here today and you are a believer. You say, you know what? I know that's true. I know I've responded. Can I ask you, church, don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time that even we as a church stop seeking the things of God and start earnestly seeking God? Don't you think it's, a time, it's time for us to say, Lord, thank you for all you've done, and I don't, I don't diminish any of the things that you've done. But Lord, I know you created me not for the things you've done, but you created me for yourself. And Lord, I, today, today and every day from this point forward, Lord God, I just want to seek you. I just want to know you. And then however else you want to work in my life that's your business but I want to seek you finally maybe God's brought you here and he wants you to be a part of this church if he's leading you you come we'll receive you with open arms pray with me Father I thank you for this day I thank you for the opportunity of this hour and Lord I pray that you would show us your truth that we would be open and responsive to the Holy Spirit to your Holy Spirit And Father, I pray that there's someone who does not know you and your spirit is working in their heart right now, this very hour, these very moments. Father, that today would be the day that you would bring them to salvation. They would respond as your Holy Spirit reveals your truth in their life. And then, Lord, for your church family here, Father, help us to begin even today to change the emphasis for seeking just the things of God and, and just the blessings of God and, and even just the answers from God. All those things are wonderful, but, but Lord, put it in our heart that what we desire is you. And all we desire is you. Father, if you're working in someone's life that needs to respond and become a part of this church family, Lord, may today be that day. Holy Spirit, do what you do best, I pray. Speak to the hearts of your people that we might respond to you in Jesus' name, I pray. Stand with me. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. I give you this opportunity and I won't keep you long. So if God is leading you, I encourage you to respond right now. However he's leading you. However the Holy Spirit took the message today, touched your heart, and brought you to a place of response. I encourage you to respond. Some may want to walk out. Some may want to stand right where you're at. You don't feel led. That's fine. I'm asking you to respond to the Holy Spirit as he leads you today and as we sing. Hi. Hi. I said I know I can. Okay. Let me ask you what I ask everybody, okay? I know you know Jesus Christ, your Savior. Yes. And you have followed him in believer's baptism. Yes. Okay. Finally, you feel like you prayed and you feel like this is where God wants you to be? I beg your pardon? You, you prayed and you feel like this is the church God wants you to be a part of? Yes. Okay. We're glad to have you. <laughs> I'm going to pray with you, and then yes. we're going to get some information, okay? Yes, sir.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my sister now. I thank you for her heart and her desire to follow you. And Father, to be a part of this church family. I pray you bless her. I pray you use her. I pray you glorify yourself in her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see right here. Okay. Thank you. Just have her fill. Put it in. you to bow your heads and Linda keep on playing if you will there's still opportunity to respond and again whether you do it right there where you're at just you and God alone or maybe it, maybe you need to make a public uh, response That's, either way is fine what's most important is that before we leave this building here today each of us respond to the Holy Spirit each of us submit ourselves to the presence of God who dwells within us We are not in control. We are not in charge. It's time for us to recognize that. It's time to be the body of Christ that surrenders to the Holy Spirit. When we're in this building, when we're in this community, when we're in our homes, when we're in our jobs, that we're submitted to Him. a couple more minutes. Anybody else this morning? Thank you for your attention this morning. Let me share with you a decision this morning. And Mary, would you want to, you and Cheryl want to come right here? By the way, after the service over, I'm going to have Mary stay up here. Thank you. And if you'd like to come by and welcome her into the church family. This is Mary Kay. Yeah. Really? Mary, Mary Kay. Okay. All right. Mary F. K. Mary F. K. Okay. And Mary comes this morning, and, and she wants you to know, first of all, that she knows Jesus Christ as her Savior. That's the testimony of her faith, and that she has followed Him in believers' baptism. And then she's prayed. She feels like this is the church family God wants her to be a part of. If you will let her know that she's welcome, that you'll pray for her, that you'll love on her, that you'll be accountable to her, that you'll walk beside her as a sister in Christ, let her know that by saying amen. Amen. And then would you give expression of thanks to God for how he's worked with us. 
again, I want to have Mary just stay here so you don't have to stand at the back. Let people come by if, if they would like to come by and welcome you to the church family. Take time, if you haven't, to go look at the worship center. It's about halfway there. Uh, and it uh, uh, looks like we're looking at the middle to a little bit later in September before we're back in there. Uh, but what's more important is that the church is meeting wherever the church is meeting. And I hope that God, the Holy Spirit, has blessed your, your heart and my heart as we've gathered here today. I hope he's brought a renewal of who he is. And maybe even a change of perspective of how we respond to him. Let's do this. Let's join hands together. And we haven't done this for a while because all the sickness and stuff, but I think we're better now. We'll see you after next week how many of you don't show up because you're sick. And then please come by up here and welcome Mary into the church family as we're, as we're dismissed. Uh, Randy Damute, would you voice a prayer right from there, please, brother? Lord, we, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. Lord, we thank you that we've heard the singing and the preaching of your word.